So what else is happening in venture capital? Venture capital is done for the year. <laughs> it's uh, December yeah. 13th. <laughs> <laughs> what are you kidding? Like, I'm just, sorry for asking. You already covered that. Holiday parties are happening in venture capital. Greetings. Happy almost end of year. Are we going to make it, friends? How's it going? I don't know if we're going to make it. What, NGMI, Sam? Is that the acronym we should be using? (laughs) Not going to make it. (laughs) GMI. GMI. Going to make it. Don't stop believing. Don't stop believing. I'm holding right now, holding on for dear life until we get to the end of this year. Is DSBL. I always start posting DSBL on this as Don't Stop Believing. That works. Ooh, love it. <laughs> oh, God. Great. Let's Great. do it, Sam. There's a throwback. Let's make a token. We can definitely make DSBL a thing. Yeah, let's make it happen. You All know, right. the ambition of this group to make things things is, is high, uh, <laughs> including this podcast. But let's uh, take a moment to... You have a non-zero hit rate of making things things. So, like, I think we should keep going. <laughs> You know, guys, I will say, and hello to all our listeners out there, we're excited to be with you for another not slow week in the world of technology in Silicon Valley. But, you know, as we hit the kind of party circuit, which I think is why we're exhausted, and and these are not fun parties, these are work parties, let's (laughs) just be clear. But a lot of people are coming up to me about the pod, and they all ask, like, how the idea came together, or many of them ask. Really? And I'm always like... Britt and Dave suggested it because we missed each other, and then we started a podcast. <laughs> well, uh, no. The no. real story is... I think it was like a, a co-creation moment. I was yeah. noticing the pun of our last names. Yeah, we were just having dinner, and we were like, our kids were running around, and we were like, you know what's funny? <laughs> we, we all have a... Di- we were all at the same dinner and all have different origin stories. Okay, perhaps... That's how it always works. Right? It's a good pod, Jess. If we all didn't have different origin stories, then what, you know, what kind of a founding would this be? Okay, I want to start... I want to start today with something. So, Dave, you just said... We were waiting in, in the, the green room, which, by the way, we yeah. should record the green room conversations because that's where the action is. No, we should charge people for them. That's the... Ah. Podcast is free. Green room, it costs money yes somebody said this to me that the story that's why it's the green room that's why it's the green room oh i like that pun sam if we were making a show about this it would we'd do nothing but film the green room and everything else going on other than the the pod i mean the pod is also kind of the green room but dave will you set i was gonna say set the intention for this meeting but (laughs) i tend to not like to run my meetings that way it's just a management style thing but can you set us off with the quote you just said and then maybe unpack it for people because i want to come back to it yeah i said if you're trying to launch a rocket at the moon and you're off by one degree on earth then you'll miss the moon by tens of thousands of miles and it's a it's a it's something that I say to founders a lot as it relates to vision and you know whenever you're starting a new project just make sure you're pointing in the right direction you're looking which is in the really right funny because that framing is almost exactly the opposite of the whole like <clears throat> shoot from Mars and you'll hit the moon which you actually won't you just go into deep space and miss everything but like <laughs> it's like one version is you have to have exactly the right thing if you're off by one degree you're gonna miss the other is eh, just shoot far out you'll hit something. Yeah. <laughs> and you've described founder advice, Sam, which in my experience is just people saying things that sound good in a tweet. But yeah, I like that. And I don't know if that's going to have anything to do with what we now talk about for 45 well, it, minutes. It but relates to Sam's political career, which we can get into or not get into. In you know, podcast. I, 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 um, I sort of earmarked that as the coda, but I All think right, cool. perhaps, we can talk about it at the end. No, but. I think we'll, we'll get into it. But Another very busy week in tech. Uh, Let's see. We had continued rollout of Gemini from Google, continued reactions. Maybe, Dave, we can circle back to you to get some of your, as our resident hands-on actually using products person. (laughs) Lots of announcements continuing, and I've got some thoughts I'd love to share. We're seeing on the fundraising side and general startup side, you know, there, there was one um, one spot of bright news, 
which I thought would appeal to Dave and Sam, who are our resident dog investors. <laughs> but the information broke a story about the farmer's dog, which is apparently on pace for $800 million in dog food sales. Wow. Hitting the market. But That's not good news. It's like, the, it's like the one dog company we didn't invest in. This is not good news. Yeah, this I was mostly annoyed that Sam and I missed this one. You know what this is? This is like one of those, to Dave's point, it's like we shot at dogs, but then missed the only good dog investment. I don't know what that is. <laughs> you were off by one degree. Sam, the dog DNA company is pretty good. Yeah. Oh, look, I love Embark, but they're not doing $800 million in top line. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. What is this, the Bobby of dog food, basically? Yes, basically. I mean, I think the idea, and I, I learned this at one of our editors' meetings this week, is that it, you feed your dog food that you would eat. At all. <laughs> so, well, what's amazing is I'm looking this up. There's basically U.S. dog food sales about forty billion dollars. It's like this. What I think the real story is just go for like larger businesses. You get a small percentage, you know, of the high end consumers who don't can't afford children anymore, so they instead have dogs and feed them human food. You know. Easy enough. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're seeing that. Let's keep going through some of the other highlights of the week and then we'll... Uh, <laughs> now that we know the information's covering dogs. We are covering dogs. We're covering everything in venture, including we had a big story this week about A16Z's new fund strategy, going super vertical hmm. funds, which they've been doing and is part of a trend. And my personal opinion... Is that a guys, trend or is that just once you get big enough, it's the only way you can go? Well, my theory is it's once your GPs argue too much over their part of the carry, you just sort of give them separate silos where they can have more carry around their thing and less carry around the main thing. Am I, I think right? that's somewhat right, but I think that you have to remember venture funds are two-sided marketplaces. And on the other side of the market, you have the LP perspective, which is they frequently cap out on their desire to be allocated into certain products and then they want access to other products that have different risk profiles and so you end up with you know being maxed out in your core vehicle and then you need to go vertical and particularly once you get certain size like that's kind of the only way you can go with the financial engineering interesting there's also this whole thing which is like Effect, it depends on like how A16Z treated it, whether they're like, you have to, like, we have one good fund and then we'll force you as an LP mm -hmm. to be in all these random funds we've invented, which is a way to make yep. AUM go up without changing the economics of a given product. There's a lot of reasons for it. I mean, it is a little interesting because if you think about it, it's like, it would put differently. The absolute best way to make money in venture capital is to not have a fund and do SPVs. That is like actually the way to do it. Because if you think about it as an investor, then here's what happens. When a deal goes well, you get mm -hmm. all the upside. When a deal goes badly, you don't have to socialize the downside with everything else. Like you don't have to pay it back. You're like, oh, good news. This deal returned 100x. Don't worry that these five also negatively return. You just don't get your money mm -hmm. back on that. So as a, v as a VC, the ideal is to have deal by deal carry for money making. And then if you can't get there, you'd much rather have lots of small funds than one big fund, right? Because and just so everyone, because all you know, some of our listeners are just sort of more lurkers in the venture capital world. But an SPV would be like you raise a bunch of money for a specific deal. So yep. Thrive um, putting you know a billion dollars into Stripe is not all a billion dollars of Thrive's money. They're rounding up other investors. One question I've always had is, what are the economics to the organizer of the SPV? It depends, but usually it's something like zero and mm -hmm. 20 or one and 20. Different people set them up differently. Some people actually do take fees on SPVs to like pay for their walking around money. But if you think about it with an SPV, once it's set up, there's really nothing to do except for send some tax returns yeah. once a year. In general, the idea of taking SPVs, uh, I'm sorry, fees on an SPV every year is a little rich. Like it's a little cute. Whereas the 20 or whatever is just the upside on it. That's kind of relatively standard, maybe a little bit less than a fund, but it's the same idea. But the upshot is, is like, look, I mean, from my reserve, at least when you look at A16Z doing this, there's a lot of reasons they could be doing it. I'm sure partner squabbling could be part of it, which is, yeah, like you, it's a huge partnership and they don't all want to have their risk socialized with a bunch of other random partners that maybe they do or don't respect. But it is also for sure one of those things where like, if you said to someone who owned the whole thing, would you rather have one, the same amount of money, but in a hundred pockets where each of them is independent of the other pocket? 
or would you rather have one huge ass pocket? Hundred little pockets will make you more money. Got it. And have those fallen out of favor in this cycle or are they? How to put it. It's, um, it's a little cute, if that makes sense. No one was born yesterday in the LP community. They know this. So it's like, in some ways, LPs would be like, oh, why don't you just like run a fund and like make the most money possible with, with the most degrees of freedom? You know, it's very cute of you to cut up your fund into a hundred small pieces so you make more money. But it, I mean, maybe A16Z can pull it off, right? Or maybe they, they clearly they are. Or they're trying to. Fascinating. So what else has happened in venture capital? Venture capital is done for the year. It's uh, December thirteenth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you kidding? Like, nothing. Jess, you already covered that. Holiday parties are happening in venture capital. Audits, yes. audits are Ooh, happening yes. right now. That's mm-hmm. very exciting. That yeah. is not my. Department. There are a couple deals getting done. <laughs> Dave, I have delivered to our house. It's coming on Friday. I just got confirmation. A four thousand dollar physical piece of mm. hardware. Which, if it delivers on the pitch I was giving when I bought it in real time, while the oh, guy was oh, this pitching, is cool. Actually, Ooh, let's yeah. guess. I want to guess which it, which one it can Incredible. be. Incredible. There is no way. I want you to for this podcast. I would like you to guess the three things you think I could have possibly ordered. Okay, I'll give you okay. The things. It cost four thousand dollars and it's okay. being delivered on Friday. And I bought it literally on their website. I was like, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. I was like buying it as they were pitching me. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Wait. So I can find this on the internet and buy it as well. It is on the internet. I'm what I mean shocked. by that is that it's not a, a, a pre-launch product. It's a launch product. It is not. It is actually a launched existing right. product that is incredible. Hmm. What are okay. your three guesses? My first guess is a shift wave chair. Definitely not. Did you ask ChatGPT? No. No, but Sam's really into cold plunges and all these kinds of things. So that, that that's in this. Ooh, you're that's close. In this you're genre. close. You're close. Oh, oh, oh. Ooh, I like it. Hot and cold. So the shift wave chair, though, is a technology that uses pulsed pressure waves to retrain the nervous system. We've actually used it. We had a test, a demo version in our office. It chills you out in five minutes. You just lay on it and it does all these beating sensations to your body and it's cool. There are apps, by the way, that have been recommended for me, a very calm person around like bio. It's like meditating, but with bio. That's what this is. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm into it. Okay, well, I think you should buy a shift wave chair as well. I as just need my phone, and you just put it on your stomach, and then it vibrates. Shiftwave.com. Like, oh, We're not investors, but yep. it's interesting. Okay, the second guess you said we were cold as we were guessing cold plunge. No, you, I said you're warm, warm, getting warm, warm, but also cold. Um, <laughs> is it a cold plunge? No, I have one of those. It, it, the problem, the problem with the cold plunge market is that <laughs> you have to manufacture something so big. <laughs> No, they're just, they're so big that like, it's even if there was a better cold plunge, the mere physical act of removing the existing cold plunge is like so hard to Ah. figure out that you just kind of are stuck with it. I actually did have one cold plunge before this one. Conrad Jones, a friend of all of ours, gave it to me as a thank you because I had suggested that he buy some Solana in a conversation very early. And uh, I upgraded, but then I had a real hard time giving away Conrad's original mm. cold plunge. And so that's my issue. I'm never going to buy another cold plunge. Mm-hmm. Can't. Okay. Here's my next guess. The dishwasher robot. I've been pitched a dishwasher robot. I think it's impressive if it works. I don't think Sam would probably buy this and be <laughs> gloating over it. But maybe he would because he's, it's his way of like adding value to the household. Well, for here's, here's my hint. So I, I will talk about this more potentially in the next more or less podcast, but I'll give you the hints. Wait, you're not is, revealing it? I should have revealed it. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot There's a lot of pent-up energy now. <laughs> you just promised. Yeah, you got to release the valve. Okay, fine. So I basically got pitched this team that has been working really hard, and they have invented and made into a consumer product basically the moisture farming from Tatooine in Star Wars. What? So you basically, at a really reasonable energy cost, have like a super dehumidifier. So you can basically just like have a water cooler, but it doesn't need a water connection. It just pulls it out of the air. Oh yes, 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 yes. Sick, yes. right? I've heard of the. I've heard of solar panels that do this. Mm, I don't know. I'd rather have a shift chair. <laughs> no, this is freaking. Listen, for anyone who has a home in water constrained environment and wants to do agriculture. All I've ever wanted. <laughs> For that very yeah. large market. Yeah. What's the TAM of this market, Sam? <laughs> Sam, can you say that sentence in order again? <laughs> we're, 
we're buying so much real estate in like drought areas. Like it's going to be awesome, right? It's going to totally, this is like the Uber, this is the railroad 4.0 where you just change the physical value of real estate everywhere and make it a fortune. But yeah, it's like, look, everyone is always, you know, you see Star Wars and you're like, I want to be Luke Skywalker when you're like little. And then you get a little older and you're like, actually, Han Solo is way cooler, <laughs> right? Like Luke Skywalker is kind of a baby. Like Han Solo is like awesome. But now that I'm 40, I'm realizing that like the coolest <laughs> character in all of Star Wars is actually Luke's uncle, the yep. moisture farmer. Because that guy like fucking pulls water out mm-hmm. of thin air. So why would you not? I don't want to be Luke or Han anymore. I just want to be the moisture farmer guy. <laughs> Can you create a cold plunge with all this moisture? Is that Why not? We're going How about a cold okay. plunge that you just don't even need water for? It just magically shows up and is chilled. <laughs> okay. Well, this has been a fun segment. And I can't wait for this thing. I don't know where we're putting it. This is my first question. It can go anywhere we want water. It doesn't even need water. <laughs> Sam can survive yeah. in the pool okay. house completely off the grid. A hundred percent. I can. I yeah. will say we might as well round out the segment of interesting hardware purchases of <laughs> that this have nothing to do with venture Sam... capital. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe they do. Sam got it in a pitch. Sam got me an ice cream machine for Hanukkah. Nice soft serve. Wait, you got a soft serve in the pool house. That's amazing. Yeah, it's it's, hey, it's inches away. Inches away. I'm gonna move the camera. You can I'll point it across the pool so house. So good. A live tour. There, oh it is, there it is. There's the soft serve machine. I want the soft serve machine. <laughs> it's awesome. But is that like a countertop soft serve machine? Yeah, yeah you just put it like, down. You go online and there's like now it like has a touch screen and you select what? your hardness. Put the affiliate link in the like show notes. Affiliate link is show notes. It's the only problem with it is that I now have to become like an official restaurant in order to get the mixes. <laughs> so like I have Ooh, Sam. We just found the first more or less business. We can register more or less as a restaurant. <laughs> well, I call I call these people and they're like and they're like I've had to sign up and they're like okay so like what restaurant <laughs> do you run? I'm like I run the kitchen for a technology company <laughs> and the employees have demanded soft serve. And then I always make a joke I'm like ha employees these days. <laughs> <laughs> And then, and then, like I'm like yes. a member of the Palo Alto Food Distributors Association, and you go on their broken website and like order mixes, and it comes. But it's really funny because I'm a little embarrassed about it. So like I literally do because you have to call these people to get on their websites, and I'm always just like, oh, the employees they really wanted a perk. Good thing it's a cheap perk. Ha oh, ha man. ha. And then I like just get soft serve delivered to the pool you house. Know, if anyone wonders what Sam does all day, <laughs> join the club. Join the club. But anyway, it's delicious. And I highly recommend it. Thank you, Sam, for the Hanukkah present. Wait, so, is it the right. FIV? Is it the P-H-I-V-V-E? I'm, I'm trying to find it. <laughs> oh my gosh. We're moving on, Dave. Dave, we're moving on. Jess, move us on. It comes in a comes in a wood crate like this is not designed for consumers i have no idea how to bridge to the topic of harvard Uh ai governance and the future of society but here we go so of course all these things are happening in the world except for venture capital but obviously the conversation that continues to be throughout our back channel covers of the new york times all the way to the harvard crimson which is an excellent outlet student paper I suggest everyone check out online, is really the continued leadership challenges at universities over managing anti-Semitism on campus, among other things. We saw in the very small corner of Harvard, the school expressed their support for the president of Harvard, Claudine Gay. And I don't think we need to go down the path of the future of universities, although we certainly can. And Elon is apparently launching another one today. So that is a very fair topic. But I was struck. So the Harvard Corporation basically was like negotiating the terms under which the president of Harvard would be allowed to stay the president of Harvard. And immediately... I was like, had flashbacks to when the board of OpenAI was negotiating the terms under which Sam Altman could return as the CEO of OpenAI. And it was fascinating to me, two very different worlds, although somehow Larry Summers (laughs) is involved in both. But it struck me, like when I look at both of these cases, separate from the particulars or separate from questions about 
you know, woke ideology on campus. There just seems in both cases to be a real misalignment between the kind of governing structures and kind of all the different constituents or like what these entities actually do. So in the case of Harvard, you have the Harvard Corporation, which is a group of Sam probably knows how many people, all distinguished in different ways, but like really not necessarily representing a, a particularly, you know, they represent themselves, they vote on their own successors, so on and so forth. And then, you know, this broader question of the university and what it is and all its different constituents. And just to be in this position where you're forced to negotiate with the person you picked to stay doing the thing they're doing, to me, just kind of shows like how fragile all these institutions are. And then OpenAI, which we've talked about at length, where you have this really intense um, tension between a nonprofit and a for-profit, again, which just can't really fully be aligned. And it, it made me wonder, and this is my question for you guys, if we see this as a broader trend and what it might mean for all sorts of leaders in business and beyond who, in this moment of incredible kind of tension in society and when people are being polarized and pulled apart in different ways, it seems like so many different kinds of organizations are vulnerable to these fissures, if you will, if like you just don't have a very clear sense of who's in charge, controlling what group of people toward what particular objective. So that is my spiel. But what do you so guys look, think? Here's my, can I, can I, can I jump in here as someone who's now running as a write-in candidate for the Harvard Board of Overseers to try to fix some of the stuff? More on is that, that you're wearing a jacket today, Sam? That's exactly why he's wearing a jacket <laughs> Okay, today, just want actually. to make sure everyone yeah. knows Sam is wearing a jacket, like a it's nice a, jacket. It's like a cotton, I mean, it's a terry cloth. I mean, there's a flavor. color on it. We're making progress. <laughs> terry cloth Instagram jacket. <laughs> You've been without a shirt in many a podcast. <laughs> so the fact that you're wearing a sport coat is I, a big... One of, the life, one of the life's lessons is the middle always drops out. You should either not have a shirt on ah. or be in a tuxedo. So I think what it comes down to, again, it is a governance question. And I do think there's this really interesting tension between like personal loyalty and clearly defined mission and vision and, and principles. Most companies in the world, their mission is profit. That is what their mission is. They're designed to make money. They actually legally, like that's, they have fiduciaries, they have investors, they're designed and they have to do that. And like, that's actually a pretty clarifying, like capitalism is incredibly clarifying. It's like the CEO is doing a good job if they're making money. If they're not making money, they're doing a bad job and no one likes them. The thing that's interesting, you take like an open AI, which has a mission that is separate than the company. The company is not actually supposed to exist to make money. It's supposed to exist to serve a mission. Or Harvard, it has a mission from a nonprofit perspective as an educational institute. And I think what's happened is that as the stakes on some of these missions get higher and higher and higher, and they don't have really tight controls of what they listen to, they don't have a constitution that matters and is like tight the same way, you end up with these really interesting challenges where all of a sudden the executives, right, the people actually running them, start reinterpreting or deciding what is and is not in scope. And then you have this tension between the executive's decision and what they're trying to achieve and then the board or other people who are supposed to be responsible to the mission. And so if the mission isn't crystal clear, and if there's an incredibly strong, unambiguous you know, uh, definition of that stuff, you can get twisted always till Sunday. And so what I do think is interesting, and Jess, you called this out, is like in the case of Harvard, as well as in the case of uh, OpenAI, you can have real questions about the executive leadership and whether they are aligned with the mission and then achieving the mission, right? And what their interests are versus the... We can argue about that. And then you get into these political tensions of, well, what does the board think the mission is? What does the board think the person's doing? And then really interestingly, because they're all human organizations, is their army behind them, right? Like Sam Altman is stronger as an executive having effectively left Rome and then having everyone vote him back in with their feet as employees and the board caving, right? He's now stronger than he's ever been as a leader because he basically is at the head of an army that way. Claudine Gay, again, does not have the same type of an army, but she followed a similar tactic, right, of getting a bunch of different parts of the organization to write letters, faculty, et cetera, saying we support the president. So it is. it all just comes down to, though, that I think, again... If you're a for-profit company, this isn't that complicated. The stakes are low. If you're a non-profit company with a separate mission statement, or when the stakes get super duper duper high, these things become very contentious about who actually has control and power and what the direction is. But one trend, and I'm curious, David Britt, what you think, and also if you see like other shoes to drop, because business has gotten a lot more complicated 
look at Elon Musk. The information, I, I think it was this week, we we charted all his different businesses and like some of the overlap and resources and that kind of stuff. Perfect. Like he's entitled to do that. They're all private companies, but like his empire is not a traditional corporation that can be judged, as you said, Sam, on like, did this part make money, right? Or did this whole thing make money or what are the other metrics? And so I kind of feel like, you know, it was like back when, you remember when businesses just got too big and everyone was like, is this JP Morgan too big? And are we all worried about it? Now I think business has just gotten too weird. And, and it's almost like, because in part to solve some of the externalities or problems with business, right? We see all these like clever, powerful people slash, I will say cult leaders. I don't mean that in a religious sense, amass sort of power and these entities like under them. And I think if you play that out more, that sort of, it, these lines are going to get murkier and you're, we're going to see more like tensions, but to the more. Yeah, ends, I was going to bring up the, there, I think it was Verge or someone did an article about Twitter in the last couple of days. Yeah, the Verge and did. This, yeah. The whole article, it's a big, long read. I mean, the graphics are quite fun. I was actually thinking about who had the job of coming up with all these graphics. But to TLDR it, on the one hand, you have the sort of more socially, sort of humanitarian kind of mission that Twitter took on, took the shape of in the twilight days of Jack Dorsey's leadership, where you had this like fun place to work and they cared a lot about work-life balance and the social mission and all these. It was sort of like, I guess, in corporate parlance, an ESG kind of mission sort of ballooned over there. And then as Elon bought the company and took over, he just drove a really hard capitalist mission to Sam's point. And that just really stripped away a lot of the things that had nothing to do with the capitalist mission. And so it just really clarified things. There was a huge amount of capital outlaid and then a business to be built. And so here is now a team that's dramatically simplified, optimizing for a very simple thing, which is growing the, you know, uh, the network and making money. And, you know, some people don't like that, but kind of have to look at it and go, well, yep, that's what capitalism and when you're building a business, that's what it's supposed to be about. But Dave, do you think that's what Elon's doing? Because to me, it seems like he's also running a political campaign to run planet Earth, right? Maybe. I mean, by his own words, right? Like, I and I, again, I don't, he can do whatever he wants to Twitter. Yeah. It's his. But part of why I think it's so challenging to kind of understand what he's doing is that he's not, I mean, if he were trying to maximize the profit potential, he'd be finding ways to get all these Yeah, but I'm hearing back, that that's right? what's and, going on. You know, like on the same day that the Andrew Ross Sorkin thing happened, I was hearing that he was out to dinner with the largest advertising buyer on earth that night. So it's just like, he's building a business. I mean, I, you, you, and then like the next day he's at, uh, you know, Tesla launching the Cybertruck. I mean, you can sort of plaster these platitudes about Elon out there, but he's a pretty capitalistically driven person. Totally. I'm talking specifically yeah. about Twitter too. No, I mean, not at all challenging his business chops on the other side, but like Twitter is, I mean, when you say things like let's let earth decide, right. Or, you know, it, he's sort of threatening the company being bankrupt, right? Like it almost seems like he's willing to sacrifice. I view it, it as more idealistic. Way, right? he, I think like once you kind of get to the level where your communications are interpreted by that many sort of constituents in the world, like it is, it's just kind of true, right? Like he's speaking to very wide swath of constituents. And so that's like one idealistic way to put well, it. Britt, what do you think? I'm, I'm, I'm sort of thinking a little bit more back to Sam's point on the nonprofit part of this equation and how do you solve for leadership in a woke world moving forward. And I, I'm curious what everyone here thinks about the idea of more of a democratic leadership. Like what, what are the pros and cons of sort of treating some of these nonprofit entities like we treat our governments where there's much more of a for the people, by the people type of leader in place. Maybe there are term limits. I don't know. Would that be good, bad? Oh, ding, ding, ding for Britt's idea of term limits for executives. I like it. There it is. Ding, ding, ding. Thank Can you, I throw Jess. a few things out? One. Please. I, I think there's a strong argument that nonprofits should not exist. 
Right. And to be clear, <laughs> that doesn't mean that the- that quote is going to be plastered on the internet. <laughs> I'm going to end this episode with an appeal for a nonprofit that I am very closely (laughs) associated with and believe in. We're all on boards of nonprofits, I think. (laughs) I want to be clear. Not profits are fine. Nonprofits are the ones that, and I'm going to be very clear, like, which is a, it's a tax code thing, right? Which is you think about the way people think about what a for-profit is and nonprofit. The real difference is tax structure, right? Do you pay your taxes or not? Every single nonprofit in the country is basically set up where they get to say, well, we're doing something good for the world, so we're not going to pay taxes. And the problem is doing something good for the world means a heck of a lot of different things to a heck of a lot of different people, right? And the idea that I, as American, basically am writing a check, right, every year to every single organization that has decided that they're not going to take a quote-unquote profit just doesn't sit very well with me, given what that ends up meaning. Like, again, take the open AI thing. It's like... Am I happy that they've come up with a structure in a weird way to like not to like that people could donate a ton of money to them and not pay taxes on it? No, I'm not. Like that's ridiculous. Right? There, the reality the is that they just start... shouldn't prove the rule. So how do you? No, no, it's not an exception. What I just should think philanthropy look like in your future? You just give money to organizations that you feel like that are for normal businesses. They pay their taxes and they do whatever they want. Right? Like that's kind of what a for profit is. If they choose to lose money every year, that's fine. They can do that. But I shouldn't. Given the the v- incredibly broad swath we have on these nonprofit ideas and how much money gets stuck in this industrial complex, I think it's like pretty reasonable to just say that like it was a mistake. Now the reality is you'll never get rid of it. This is one of those like mistakes of America that like someone had a good idea once, like hey, certain organizations, let's like subsidize them and have but them it was not deeper pay taxes, than that, and it Sam. spirals like out the, of control. The, you know, the nonprofits in the United States are rooted in, in the Puritan founding of the country. The Puritan beliefs were centered on duty, morality, self-reliance, worth ethic. They saw charity as a form of redemption. And so it was written into the tax code in order to, you know, support this. I mean, according to a Google search, not even barred. The first actual modern nonprofit was 1867. Uh, and it was the Peabody Education Fund, integration of white and in the South. So I get the point, which is I agree that the ideas are very old. But what, I care, what I'm talking about is like a modern tax-free nonprofit structure, right? And I just, I think that the world is like, it was not a nice quaint idea that's been overstretched. And at this point, the second you have all these people claiming nonprofit status, that are really like very agenda-driven stuff, right? In very different ways. I just, I think we'd be a lot- What's wrong with agenda-driven stuff? Well, what's wrong is that I, the taxpayer, am subsidizing it. I don't want to subsidize it. I'm happy to subsidize the army, right? I'm happy to subsidize lots of things. But the idea that like you're sitting there- It's a good point. I hadn't thought of it from that perspective, actually. It's like, and you're sitting there at the end of the year and you're like, well, I have some money. What should I do with it? It's like, well, I can give it away and not pay taxes- if I give it to these set of organizations that are principle driven, even though those principles might be like advancing AI research or something, or I can like invest in these other things which I believe in what they're doing, but are for profits. It's like it's a it's a weird imbalance hmm. to have set up, right? And I think it like I think it actually creates a lot of distortions in the market that are not good. So I don't know. I think like that's one question. And then the question is like, okay, one thing I, I really I think I misunderstood in my 20s, and I then really understood in my 30s is in my 20s. Dave and I, we were product people, right? We've all built products. And so someone would come and say, like, we want to make number go up. Make number go up. And I'd be like, fuck you, make number go up. <laughs> what I'm doing is more important than number go up, right? Like, and like it's more nuanced than number go up, right? Like your number go up game is bad. And I remember many here's of those the funny thing about that. Here's the funny thing about that. Were you were negative number going up? I did not want the number go up is very constraining yeah. to product people. Like, no, no, no. I'm trying to build a good platform yeah. or structure and like I can't articulate these items. I just, I am trying to build, it's a system. And what happened was this. One, all the people who chose to play the number go up game won because you'd have debates with them and you'd be like, this is how the world should work or the structure works and it's more rational this way. It'll scale better than to say, ah, but my number go up. (laughs) And people are like, oh, the number go up? Here's more money to make the number go up. Here are more people to make the number go up. And you're like, but that number yeah. is dumb. But it's like, or oh, it did say that, that, number, like the num- that number might right? quite literally damage society. Yeah, maybe. I'm not going to comment <laughs> on that one. But the basic point is, and to be the number is like, well, users, it could be anything. Revenue, but nonprofits have anything. numbers they track. Nonprofits have numbers well, the, that the they problem, track that the go up. The problem number go up is if you pick the wrong number to go up, you are yeah. going to do bad things. 
The good news about number go up, which I think is really important, especially for big societal systems, is it's actually quite freeing, right? Because then you get to go to the person. It's like, ah, goal is number go up. And they're like, hmm. They're like, you can do whatever you want with broad constraints so long as number go up. And like, sweet. Now I feel super empowered to try a bunch of stuff yeah. or to experiment with quickly. I like when you... number go up with instead of constraints. This well, is my... The, then the question is how yeah. do you set those constraints, right? And like Exactly. What those that's are. my job. I'm the CEO. Well, I that's the point, that. though. But I think it's like an interesting thing where like, you know, the, the nice part about capitalism is it's the ultimate number go up machine. Whereas the second you're like, no, 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 it's not about number go up. It's about these other things or principles. Then the problem is it really constrains what the people in the org can go act on because they kind of have to keep asking the CEO, like, well, is this good? Or like, does this work? And that actually really is a tough organizational design principle, very constraining. Sam, isn't it the case that all organizations exist at some intersection? Like it's, it's a false dichotomy. Like most organizations are not driven by number go up on the one hand or values on the other, right? Like they're... There's some weird hybrid of the continuum. Maybe, but I think the most, what I would argue is the most scalable, successful orgs in the world largely are number mm. go up machines. Wall Street is a number go up machine. Social media, or like I just said, media in general, one of the nice parts about it, like, is you just A, B, test your way and a number go up, right? The cl- more clearly you can articulate the number, and then the more tightly that number is tied to quote unquote value. Like it is freeing to organizations, right? To have that. And the, the less coupled it is, or the more constrained number to go up is, the more it's just like drudgery to work there because like you yeah. can't do anything without asking 87 people, right? And like that is like, it's just like an interesting thing about what's a more effective strategy, right? For optimizing but things. Is suggesting that nonprofits don't have that built in. And how does this get back to our governance question? <laughs> well, the, well, I think this is like, I think the reality is, is like, first of all, because nonprofits generally aren't sitting there being like, the number is money. Right? I don't know, man. They, they are. Like, you know, I think that's one of the dirty secrets of nonprofits, right? They have to raise money. There's just so many nonprofits. There's so yeah. many nonprofits. So it's like talking about people. Come on. We all have enough experience with a lot of nonprofits to know that like their, in, their impact stories are very clear, very frequently surveyed. They're complicated. They're convoluted. They're very, compared it to totally Goldman Sachs. It totally depends. It totally depends. They're not number go up games because they say, oh, well, we did this thing, but it had this impact. No. And we have 87 well, values. on one side of the balance sheet though, Sam, on the other side, they have to fundraise. And that is a number go up game. Yeah. And donors are very specific. Okay, that's fair. If you want to argue that the, actually the cynical version of nonprofits is the number go up is actually And by the way, where is number? the rubber hitting the road on all of this stuff with Harvard and everyone? It's at the... It's at the it's at the intersection of the donors and the and the mission. Yeah, but the problem is they're too rich. The problem is these organizations say, no, 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 our mission is X. So we will take no external feedback, right? And we can afford to not care about you donors, right? And I actually think that in their minds, I totally get it. They're saying we're independent, we're so rich, that's the value. We're able to defend yeah. ourselves and be set apart from society. The fact that we don't have to listen to the donors sure. is a good thing. And I actually yeah, kind totally. of agree with that. But it means that they're also not hearing a lot of very important feedback because once you stick, once you create the framework of my job is to defend my position, then all external feedback becomes like bad feedback you don't listen to, even when there's actually mm. really good feedback in there, right? So it's like this whole thing where like the, comp- okay. the really rich institutions, it's this weird thing they've set up for themselves where like they're they're not hearing feedback. Because they think their job is to stand up. I mean, this people. happens with individuals too, right? You know, Absolutely. like the the. I'm known as very open to feedback. <laughs> <laughs> the most, the most open. You know, I'm trying to think positively about everything. It's going really well. Well, Jess, like you, you asked this deeper question though about this sort of differential between the people that are supposed to represent the constituents and. There's this separation between the two. Like that's the thing that I thought was also pretty interesting in your question. I also just want to like this is not this is deep society change. Like these are big. There's this is going to play out in more ways. I guess is what I'm trying to say, right? And maybe that's intentions between employees at companies and leadership. At companies. I I don't know. Maybe it's like you know tensions over wealth inequality, like all of these things. But I think this sort of tolerance for like more, we've gotten to a point of like weird organizational complexity in a lot of places. Mm. And again, I think in certain times, like you kind of tolerate it and you allow it and you, 
you give into figures who can articulate why we need it. One of the questions and then things kind of that I have had about this as you've been talking about it this week is, is this like a transient property of internet culture where because, uh, you know, if it were 30 years ago, the organization and its leadership would have one message. They would say, our mission is this, our values are this, our number go up is this, like this is what everybody should focus on. And kind of that was what people would hear. And then people would go home and like Tom Brokaw or whoever would sort of have another message about what's going on in culture. And, you know, you'd kind of interface with a lot of mass media culture. And then as the internet has kind of become like, I think we can safely say in 2024, the internet has become culture worldwide. Like you have this splintering of cultures, right? Where every person in an organization pays attention to a different subgraph of some combination of Meta's properties and Facebook, Instagram, Threads, X, TikTok, and they they sort of get pulled into many different cultures. And so you're dealing with a culture of cultures inside your organization that is distinct and different in people's minds than what the top-down, you know, mission and values might be. And so there's always going to be from here on out a differential in the two. And so is the question like, how do you manage, how do you bring people together in a world where that's just going to be the persistent case? Uh, And then there's going to be these transient things like this thing that happened after October 7th, that become really large subcultures that, you know, kind of they balloon inside the internet culture and and create huge pressure against these missions. Um, And they might just transiently move on to the next one or whatever. But like, that's, I guess, some of the stuff that I've been thinking about as it relates to it. Yeah, I think those are all great points. And, And there's just simpler ones too. And I guess this is like wearing my journalist hat a little bit, but it's like, if things don't make sense, they probably don't make sense. I mean, do like FTX and Alameda, right? Like, Forever, the crypto world was like, does it make sense that this guy runs this huge exchange and he's also got this, you know, he's trading and he's a market maker. And he's got this biggest hedge fund and no one near, I don't know if we call it Alameda hedge fund or whatever it was. And no one really knows, but like, does it make sense? No, it doesn't make sense. And like, I think we just, everyone should be on the lookout for more of these things to kind of fall. And it feels like the beginning of something more than the end is sort of what I feel. But um, can we cover yeah, a couple more it. quick topics? Give this yeah. Okay. We should do a whole episode on the state of mobile. Because mm. yeah, I mean, we, we talked about, we talk about TikTok a lot. We talk, but like, you know, if these app store rules, even on the fringes, right, we might also see a Supreme Court case on it, right? So that would, but I, yeah, I think it's going to be a very There's also area. some cool stuff to talk about on the, Talk about governance problems. We did. We managed to talk about governance for like half an hour without talking about dick gawk. Yeah, we talked. We talked about it. Anything new to add? Or but we talked about it. We had a whole episode. For profit, CCP <laughs> goal, not money. Make dollar go up, not yeah. goal. This is also. I mean. Yeah, we should also, I, you guys tell me when you think we're due for some like future of the news media criticism episodes, because, mm. you know, I mm. could talk about this all day long, but talk about like the blurring lines of institutions and like being comfortable with, you know, people wearing multiple hats and the gatekeepers and all of that. I thought of this because the reason the world knows that actually the Chinese government owns ByteDance is because of some of the great reporting of my colleagues in Asia that actually broke the news of not just this idea that Chinese companies are controlled by the government, but the government taking a board seat in a hidden entity no one knew about. So, Wait a minute. I don't even know about this. And I'm your husband. They have a board seat in ByteDance? Yes, they do, Sam. <laughs> See, you, were even, yeah, you, you were more right than you realized. <laughs> <laughs> Missed that one. <laughs> Usually, well... The uh, facts can kind of go either way in supporting or refuting Sam's claims, but in this case, they violently support. And, one, and it's hard because it's one of these like Cayman nested mm. entities and blah, blah, blah. I mean, so it's not only, it's not only the abortion, but they've obscured it intentionally. It's like, oh, come on. Every company obscures their governance structure. <laughs> I'm going to say this one more time because I feel like I'd say this every episode. If America cannot get its act together to ban TikTok from a national security standpoint, we deserve to be crushed because, and we're going to be. It's like this is like the most brain dead issue in the history of the world. 
Okay, we're gonna get the CEO of TikTok Ooh, yeah. on the Can pod we do to this? you. I want to be really clear. It's not personal. Like, I think Show's a nice guy, and I like TikTok, but like, it's just not an okay thing for an America for America to say that the growing number, hundreds of millions of Americans, all the American youth, more than any other platform, gets their news from a service which is literally talking about invading our allies, right? And has absolutely every possibility to even with there's no even there's not even a social graph it's not even has to filter through people they can just choose what yeah. to show people it's like it's like the idea that we would allow this is insane right and then on top of that if you were the chinese and i mean this with respect the idea that you would not use it it's like nbc in the 80s is owned by them yeah it's like wild it's actually so yeah. much worse than that. That's it's true. so much yeah. worse than that because it's like you can subtly tweak yeah. the algorithm or just, you know, allow this botnet that no one knows what it is. You give it a pass. There's so many ways to obscure a manipulation. It's yep. wild. Yep. Last okay. topic, Jess. Period. You know, the last topic, I, I was going to plug a nonprofit, actually. No, dead yeah. seriously. Because. Is it a nonprofit or a not profit? <laughs> yeah. Does it have a number go up? <laughs> Um, the 19th News, an organization founded by my friend Emily Ramshaw, is an amazing publication that exists because Emily had the insight that, especially in politics, the, about of the 20 editors across all the major publications that were leading political coverage, coverage of laws and policy, were men. And she thought, you know, they're all good guys, but the topics that get covered disproportionately are those that are of interest to men or even that, you know, they have awareness of. And so the 19th exists to really cover in great detail all the range of topics related to politics and policy that affect women. And, um, you know, today I read about this. This also got more mainstream attention, but a really interesting study that uh, allegedly identified a hormone associated with extreme Mm. morning sickness. and actually. I mean, every woman listening to this who's been pregnant probably had the same reaction I did, which is, you know, to help people who suffer with that is like, is tremendous. And Mm. so I think that's one example of what the 19th does. I am matching donations up to $10,000 through the end of the year. Amazing. You know that we just made a foundation (laughs) gift to them separately. We also, we should coordinate. We should coordinate. Okay, we'll coordinate. Um, but the most important thing is that if you're interested in learning more, we will put the links in the show notes, or you can check out my tweets and social media posts about it. And I think it's an incredibly important example. And there are a lot of great news orgs and I'd be happy. I will make sure to plug many of them that, that are kind of taking this approach and thinking, okay, there's a concentration of talent focused on X issue, you know, what else? And, and they, they do an amazing job, and um, I'm really happy to support them. So, is there anything so are they you guys would or like worse to? Worse than the 18th. Like, ha! Huh, I, I, mean, I, <laughs> I, I I was gonna also do. This is like the prop shout out time. You guys may know that Sam Lesson decided to run a marathon last oh, weekend. Yeah. How'd that go? Actually, I know. I can't believe you did this in three hours, Sam. That's so annoying. Three hours, nine minutes, and 59 seconds, qualified for the Boston Marathon. It's insane. I can, I can testify to the fact he did not train. For weeks, I was like, want to go for a run? What do you think about going for a run? How are your knees? I'm curious, what like what, what were any secret weapons you had? Did you use like the goo gummies? Uh, so it turns was out- it hydration? I had two secrets and I, I'm actually, I'm pretty, I'm like proud of myself on this one because I had no idea. I wasn't even sure what it would be like to run a marathon. And I, again- I was psyched about how it ended. I did at the end. I would have gone faster, but in my head, a marathon was 26.6 miles, not 26.2. So like, mm. I didn't actually, I was like, oh, it's over. I forgot to like run a little faster at the end. But um, so I had two secrets. One is I was worried about my knees as I'm 40 and I was looking for like KT tape, but I couldn't find it. So I ended up finding this like sparkly yellow gauze that was in Jessica's bag and I just wrapped my knees in sparkly yellow gauze. I have so much casing tape in our bathroom. Like the Couldn't big, find it. big reels. Bottom So that's drawer. one. The other is actually nutrition is a thing. So I talked to some some uh, ultra marathoners, like people who run Ironman and whatever, 
And they were like, you need to eat a shocking amount of food, right? It's just like a lot of goo. And so they're like, you're not going to want to. It's going to feel disgusting in the beginning, but just you have to basically do a, have a goo every 30 minutes. Wow. So I yeah. was like pretty regular in nutrition, which is way more than I would have done. And then I also did, which I'm convinced is just a performance enhancing drug, despite the studies that say it's not, um, ketones. So like this ketone IQ uh. stuff, I had one before the race and then one with 10 miles to go. So the problem is if you look on the internet, all the studies are like, this stuff actually hurts your performance and is bad for you. But then you talk to all the people that do like crazy, like Iron Man, and they're like, no, you obviously take huh. this stuff. It is Yeah, disgusting. I heard it tastes like it crushed Tylenol terrible. or something like that. But like, honestly, like I, it, might, it may all be placebo, but wow. it definitely works. Like who cares mm-hmm. if it's placebo? It still works. Okay, follow-up question. What was the recovery process like? Did you ice bath? <laughs> did you did Jessica give you a massage? It was reasonably fine. I mean, I I was I um the day uh, you know, you finish at like 10 a.m. and you were sore for a few hours. And then I was sore on Monday and sore on Tuesday, but less. Did a little sauna, did a little ice. Um overall it was fine though. Like I got in a car and like I drove, I had a really by the way, you want to talk about an anti-plug? I had the worst Hertz experience. <laughs> we had an awful Hertz experience two weeks ago. Yeah. So I was so, they were like, oh, you're in the president's circle. Take whatever car you want. I'm like, okay. No, never. No, it never works to be in Hertz gold. And the car I got, it had like tire pressure. It was a little low. I was like, eh, whatever. Drove it, drove it to t- Tucson. I get a call from the valet. Your tire's flat. There's like literally down to the rim deflated <laughs> tire. And then like, they were like, they they were like, do you want us to try to inflate it again? I was like, yeah, just inflate it. So they reinflated it, but then I was watching and I was driving back to Tucson and like the number just keeps going down. So I'm like racing <laughs> a flat tire back to Hertz. And then it, the oil light went on. It's like this busted car. So like it was the worst. Ugh, okay. Yeah, anti-Hertz. Pro Turo. Any fun uh, weekend shenanigans you guys had or things coming up this upcoming weekend? No, but weekend? tomorrow um, I'm going to be at the governor's mansion in California talking about gender equity and venture capital. Nice. <laughs> so that should be exciting. Go Brit, send I'll pics. Be, there's some really powerful people going <laughs> and I'm hoping to come back next week and share some notes about what we can do. I love it. To change the vibe out here. I love it. Gender, what is, is it gender equality or gender equity? <laughs> it's called the Gender Equity Summit. So yeah, you can unpack that however you'd like. Dave, what are you looking forward to coming uh, up? I don't know, the end of the year. I'm excited to, <laughs> I'm excited <laughs> to go uh, see my family soon. Yeah, there's snow, no snow no anywhere, snow. which is yeah. uh, the thing I'm having a hard time with. Jackson Barely. has snow, doesn't Nobody it? has snow. No? Yeah, there's no oh. snow anywhere. Jackson's oh, got a goodness. little bit, but... You know, we'll see. Hopefully we get some skiing in sometime soon. Awesome. Well, to our listeners, thanks for staying with us this long. We had a lot to cover. Um, hope you guys are starting to get some downtime. Uh, I think we're back yeah. here next week. I think then we go, we take a break the following. So we'll see you next week. Thanks to the back channel and everyone for listening. See you next time. Have a great day. Bye y'all. If you enjoyed this show, please leave us a virtual high five by rating it and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast. Find more information about each episode in the show notes and follow us on social media by searching for at more or less, at Dave Morin, at Lesson, at J Lesson, and as for me, I'm at Brit. See you guys next time. <laughs>